Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. It's Wednesday night, and that means it's time for Friends in Fiction. Welcome to our show. We've got so much to look forward tonight. I am Mary Kay Andrews. I'm your host tonight. I'm Kristen Harmel. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I am Christy Woodson Harvey. And that was my husband. You just heard pouring me some. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Can yeah, he stop by over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he can make it to Birmingham. All right. So this is Friends and Fiction. Five New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores. Tonight, you'll figure out why I need more wine because our <laughs> guest is Karen Slaughter. <laughs> We're going to talk about her new book, False Witness, which was released earlier this year, which, of course, was an instant New York Times bestseller. Um, and in our continuing support, I still can't say that word, Con continuing mm. support. <laughs> of indie bookstores tonight our bookstore of the week is foxtail bookshop located right here uh, near me in atlanta georgia it's actually in woodstock and we're going to be telling you about that in a little bit and also am i talking about caroline's cakes tonight looks like it <laughs> i think i am i'm talking i don't even have any cake right now it's so sad okay friends and fiction has partnered with caroline's cakes for the take a bite out of summer campaign which runs through the end of this month which is coming up and it culminates in a grand prize um awarded just in time for labor day weekend one lucky winner will receive a caroline's cakes tote bag stuffed with totally good swag from caroline's and friends and fictions 10 books that's 10 Books, crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. It's from each of us, plus another book of each host author's choice and Caroline's Cake Bites in the winner's flavor of choice. So enter tonight for a chance to win. Also tonight, uh, we do have some exciting news because Patty has something to show us. Y'all, my publishing house has designed and made the most Gorgeous trailer for Once Upon a Wardrobe. And I want everyone here, before I even put it on social media, I want everyone here to see it first. Very I cool. swooned when I saw it. It was yeah. like seeing George and Meg's walk off the page. So are you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. Show it, Alan. Where do you think Narnia came from? I simply must find out. Discover how the world of a boy in failing health and his logic-driven sister are changed in Once Upon a Wardrobe. From the best-selling author of Becoming Mrs. Lewis comes another beautiful story inspired by C.S. Lewis. 
George wants to find out where Narnia came from. His big sister Megs will do everything in her power to answer her younger brother's question. The gift she thought she was giving to her brother, the story behind Narnia, turns out to be his gift to her instead. Hope. You've read the story set in Narnia. Now enjoy the story behind the stories. Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. On sale October 19th. That was great. It was Yay. like a movie trailer. <laughs> I know. I'm when I first saw it. Um, anyway, there's so much to tell you about this book, and it's out in seven weeks. I can't wow. believe that we're finally coming up on it. But I think for now, that trailer tells you everything you need to get started. But in working, I have one more thing I want to tell you, because in working on this book, I also worked with Joy Davidman's son, you know, C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham. So cool. I know. And he read the book and he steered me when I got off course. And he's a beautiful supporter of the story. And y'all, he has agreed to do a virtual and exclusive The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe book club. Yes, he's going to join us for a Zoom book club. And he said he would answer questions. He's agreed to walk through the wardrobe with us. So I love that. if you pre-order the book from anywhere, all you can do, you can attend this book club. We will be live on Sunday afternoon, September 19th with Douglas and with David Downing, who is also a Narnia expert. But Douglas will tell us stories about living with C.S. Lewis. He will answer questions and he will tell us the hilarious story about the first time he met the man he calls Jack and he thought he would be a knight from Narnia instead of the common man he was living in a house <laughs> in the woods. Oh my gosh. Yes. So you can find all the information on my website and on social media. And Kristen, I saw your blurb up there. I know that was so trailer. Cool. That was great. I loved that. You know, but also you have some book news this week. I do. And I just have to say, I'm so excited about your book and about uh, the awesome opportunity to virtually meet C.S. Lewis's stepson. Yeah. I think it's going to be amazing. Like what a, what a once in a lifetime opportunity for anybody who's even a little bit interested in Narnia. I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, it's legendary. It's amazing. But yeah, um, I wanted to just say that my first ever mass market paperback is out. So that's that little like $9.99 um, that $9.99 size um, that you can find in like drugstores or wherever. And it's actually, it's The Winemaker's Wife, which was my 2019 novel. Um, and, uh, but it came out in paperback the week everything shut down. So this book totally missed its chance in normal paperback. It came out March 17th, 2020. It was like, everything was canceled. The book didn't make it to shelves, all that. So this is like, it's second chance. It's everywhere, <laughs> everywhere you can find mass market paperbacks, Kroger, Walmart, Sam's, the airport, the drugstore, anywhere you usually pick up these kind of books. So it's a cheap opportunity to pick up the winemaker's wife out this week. <laughs> oh, please don't use the word cheap. I'm a, I'm just a cheap hussy for this. Book. Uh, but, no, we, we call that, we call that budget. It's budget. <laughs> it's I think they're so book. cute. I love them. I love yeah, them. I like market. it too. I know mm. it fits in my purse, which is nice. Yeah. I yeah. know. And so, you know, every week we partner with Parade Magazine online. We stream from their Facebook page and we have an original essay in their online magazine. 
This week, Christy wrote about the joy of buying school supplies. And you can find that essay linked on our Facebook page and in our Instagram bio. But meanwhile, Christy, could you tell us about your shopping exposition? Yes, I can. Um, While I am taking this off, because I'm reading that it's making a scratching sound. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And I wasn't supposed to have it on anyway, which is why I was laughing when we came on. Um, But yes, this week, is that better? This week, I wrote um, about what I think should be a national holiday, which is um, back to school shopping. It is one of Mm -hmm. my favorite things in the entire world. I have loved it from the time I was little. I don't know that Will loves it as much as I do, but like he pretends for me, which I think is like really kind um, that he's like, yeah. And really, I think he's like, I would rather be swimming or, you know, whatever. But he pretends and we get all the things. And um, so I read a little bit about that um, this week and it was just super, super fun. And so I wanted to ask you guys tonight really quickly. I think one of the reasons that I like back to school shopping is because it just feels like a fresh start. Yeah. Um, and so are there any um, like rituals or times of year? Is there anything that happens in your life that feels like a fresh start to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know what? I think it's, I I think I make a conscious effort to try to make a new start on my birthday every year. Like I kind of say, you know, this is, this is a new opportunity. And like, I kind of try to think about things I feel like I've been doing wrong or Mm -hmm. weight I've been carrying on my shoulders or like Mm -hmm. anger I've been carrying that I shouldn't. And I kind of try to let it go with the previous year. And I also, I want to say that I really liked about your essay, Christy, um, that it wasn't just a fresh start for Will. It was a fresh start for you also, the, the, the school, uh, school shopping. I liked how you tied that in. Thank you. Thank you. For me, I just buying school supplies always felt so hopeful, right? Like maybe this time I'll get it right. Maybe this time I'll stay organized. It's like buying, I buy a new notebook for every book I write. Right. Yeah. And so when I do that, I think this time maybe I'll get it right. Yep. I haven't done it yet, but maybe I will. (laughs) You well, you know, right. yeah. Well, you know, for me, school supplies, you know, I have grandchildren now in school and their mom buys their school supplies. But for me, school supplies equals office supplies. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so every time I venture into a store this time of year, I load up my cart with my favorite black and white composition books and my fine tip felt pens. They have to be that. black. Do you guys agree that we can only write in black or are you okay with other no, colors? No, I, I write a lot in blue. <gasps> I know. I, I, know. Like, I like other colors. I like pink and purple. And, of course you do. Right? <laughs> I really do orange. You probably have sparkly pens or something. No, uh, no they have to be felt tip. I'm I'm with you. Like I'm a real, right now, Sharpie pens are kind of my. my oh, I love okay. Sharpie pens. Yep. Sharpie oh, pens, that. we would love to be sponsored by. <laughs> okay, that was not whoring yourself out at all, Christy. Not at all. <laughs> Always be closing. Always be closing. <laughs> and you know, the other thing I like to buy is an office calendar because every year I tell myself, this is the year I'm going to get organized. This is the yeah. year I'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe. And a little when Karen comes on, maybe we'll ask her if she likes office supplies. Mm-hmm. God knows what she likes. <laughs> I do want to know though. I know. Well, we'll ask her that. Okay, so now let's talk about our incredible guest, Karen Slaughter, who's cooling her heels in the green room, even as we yep. speak. 
<laughs> she is the New York Times bestselling author of 21 novels, including Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, Pieces of Her, and the Grant County and Will Trent books. Her novels have been published in 120 countries. Wow. With more than 35 million copies sold worldwide. Karen was nominated for a prestigious Edgar Award for her novel, Cop Town. Another of her standalone novels, Pieces of Her, is in development with Netflix. Karen is also the founder of the Save the Libraries Project, which is a nonprofit that works to support libraries and has raised more than $300,000 for the, is it DeKalb County Library Foundation? Am I going to say that right? right. That's right. So Karen lives in Atlanta and her new book, False Witness, Shippers, it's so terrifying and good. (laughs) Mary Kay, we don't know what you're doing, but... Karen, it's cracking me up. Karen, Karen, Karen's new book, False Witness, came out in July. It follows Lee Collier, a defense attorney at a prominent law firm in Atlanta. As secrets from her past threatened to catch up with her and ruin the perfect new life that she... No, a perfect life is always the beginning of the end. Right. Yeah, you're, you're in trouble when your life gets to when be your life is, When your life is going the way you want it, there's something around the corner. <laughs> but the perfect life she has built for herself and her daughter, Karen. Mm-hmm. We can't wait to see you. Oh! Oh! <laughs> What is even happening here? (laughs) Welcome, Karen. I just, I need to explain to you all that I turned my camera off because I poured a whole glass of wine on my judge's barrister's wig, which cost $12. So that happened. Karen, welcome. Thank you. We, We are a little bit afraid that you're here, but in light of your new book, False Witness, I thought we would play a little game I call false witness. Okay. Or in simpler terms, liar, liar, pants on fire. All right. So go, go ahead, Judge Winehead. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. I'm in charge of this court. Now, yes. by the power invested in me by the sovereign state of friends and fiction, we intend to put you on the hot seat. Mm-hmm or witness stand and question you about your checkered past. Now I'm going to be the judge, of course, because I'm judgy like that. Kristen, Christy and Patty will be your jury and they will determine whether or not you are a liar, liar. And just to make things a little more complicated and edgy, because <laughs> things are edgy. My wig is not. Well, even- we're the pirate. Sure, yeah, we're, we're pirates. Pirates, right, yeah. right. Pirates we have appointed, are... I've appointed a special prosecutor for this cross-examination. Alan, will you please bring in our district attorney? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in good hands. I was not told that I had to wear a hat. Sorry, Lisa. No one told me anything either. I don't have a hat. We so don't need one. prosecutor. You no. need to be serious. So it's good that you don't have one. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That, and, and so that, that is why. so bad. It's itching. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. It takes a special personality to stand up to someone like Karen. So we invited <laughs> totally impartial New York Times bestselling thriller writer Lisa Unger to join us again tonight. The last time Lisa, Hi, Lisa. was here. Hi, guys. Hi. 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 Last time we 
here. We talked about her novel, Confessions on the 745. But tonight, it's Karen's turn to take the stand. Lisa, please proceed. Okay. Hi, Karen. Hello, special prosecutrix. Yes. Okay, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Miss Slaughter, first off, the burning question of the night is, is that your real name? I mean, isn't it a little bit too perfect that somebody who writes books that are often, you know, somewhat grisly, somewhat murdery, would have the last name Slaughter? Um, just a minute. Let me refer to my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Liar. 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 <laughs> What? what? Wow. I'll allow there's it a, for the time being. Okay. <laughs> you can't handle oh. the truth. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no, you're, you're stepping all over our lines. Just wait. Um, okay. Isn't it true that during- Miss Slaughter. Miss Slaughter. Isn't it true that during college you worked at Disney World as the operator engineer engineer for the Pirates of the Caribbean experience ride? Is is that true? <laughs> Did you do that? Let me look at my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> On those dates I was dropping out of college. My lawyer has advised me not to admit Anything regarding the death that occurred on that day. <laughs> the pirate community takes serious offense to that. <laughs> Is it well, reverting? seriously offensive? Is there a verdict delivered on that? Is there? Um, gonna, we'll table that for now. Okay. How did I get the woke pirates? Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about your Miss Slaughter. Let's talk about your past involvement in a criminal operation working as an alleged exterminator for an alleged drug ring. Hmm. Did you ever, in fact, kill a single bug as a part of that job? No, no, there wasn't even exterminating fluid in the um. <laughs> <laughs> it was water. <laughs> and I know that because I tasted it there. That explains <laughs> That's a exactly lot. what I was going to ask. How did you know it was water? It's hot. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't hearing no objections, um, Madam District Attorney. I'll let you proceed. Okay. My wig's crooked. Water. There have uh, also been allegations that you run a cat rescue operation out of the slaughterhouse your sprawling mansion in a fenced in-town compound, which neighbors have come to refer to as the litter box. Is that true? I refuse to answer on the grounds that my cats have all declared themselves as sovereign citizens and do not <laughs> acknowledge the authority of this court. How can they this not court this Parlay. court has the authority. Yeah. Parlay. Parlay 
Isn't that piratey? Parley. Parley. That's like piratey. You're a pirate. That's piratey. Okay. Miss Slaughter, back to your criminal past. Do you now or have you ever illegally operated a forklift without a commercial driver's license? Okay. Wait, is the judge drinking on the job? What's <laughs> happening here? Oh, yeah. I'm not even going to have a hat. I also don't have a drink. So. <laughs> well, Lisa, that was well prepared for mm. this. Event. That was short. That was that was your own like short, judge, that's a judgment is. call. Yeah. Yeah. You're, right. You're right. You're right. That's a personal problem. <laughs> no, it's true. Meg okay. says our whole courtroom is out of order. <laughs> I don't feel like Karen ever answers the question. He hasn't. She did not. She didn't. <laughs> Um, well, you see, the pallet needed to be moved, hmm. and I was willing to get on the forklift and figure it out. That's what you do. So you like heavy equipment. Is, yes, if you, if you have never operated heavy equipment before, but something needs to be moved, and hmm. a forklift is there, it's what any red-blooded American would do. And if you don't believe in that, you don't believe in God. Or the Constitution. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, I have to say as a jury, I, I, I'm just going to say I, I agree. I'm just going to okay. say R. R. Nice one. Nice one. Miss <laughs> um, Slaughter, one last question. Is it true that you've written a part loosely based on your own life in the Netflix series Pieces of Her? That will be portrayed by Dakota Fanning. Um, I need to consult with my attorney before I answer that. Excuse me one moment, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to... um, Invoke my Fourth Amendment right to search and seizure. Uh, so, Kathy, would you please come and search and seizure me? Um, Karen, I yes. want the truth. You can't handle the truth. There you go. <laughs> Thank yeah. God. Order in the court. Order in the court. Jury, what say you about this defendant's testimony? Liar. liar. Fiction she writer. A- liar. Liar! I feel like that graphic was already and the created. Cat. The <laughs> add some credibility. I actually uh, have to say. All right, yeah. y'all. Um. Oh, that that. All right. Yeah, that judge, now the wig is soaked with Chardonnay. That's not good. Okay, everybody, Lisa. Thank you so much. I know there were storms going on down there in St. Pete and all the things. And Lisa was. I mean, uh, Karen was probably putting some hoodoo on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to tell right. folks that we are all looking forward to your new book, uh, which will be out October 5th, The Last Girl Ghosted. Oh, can't, can't wait, wait to see it. There it that. is. That is a, that is a stunning cover, cover I got to say. Awesome. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Thanks, buddy. And we'll thanks, see, Lisa. hope to see you soon. Good to see you, Lisa. Good to see you. Okay, now my hair looks great. Krista and I are like kind of just content with our pirate hat situation. I was going to say, do I, I just texted, do I need to put my pirate hat on? Um, no, I, you I'm, do, yeah. you do you, boo. You do you. Okay. Yeah. Now that the fun and games 
well, are sort of over. Let's let's get serious. Karen, mm-hmm. um, can we get you to give us the, the elevator pitch for False Witness? Um, well, you know, I feel like people have already bought it, so I don't have to really pitch it. <laughs> um, Humor us. It's, a, Humor it's us. about trauma. It's about trauma. Uh, something really bad happens. And then we catch up with uh, the people this bad thing happened to 20 years later. And then another bad thing happens. And they're like, oh, it's the bad thing again. <laughs> okay. That's what you there want to tell us. <laughs> All right. So, so to get a little bit more in depth about the bad thing, I, I know that the two sisters in the novel are survivors of sexual abuse, which you portray pretty graphically in the novel. Can you talk a little bit about why this is important to you to approach so honestly and head on in your writing? Well, first, I love your chili. Um, but, uh, that's Hormel, not Harmel. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I totally didn't. It be awesome if I were the heir to the chili fortune. Well, wouldn't be here. That's for me. <laughs> <That is. laughs> no, you wouldn't. I'm a from France. Um, you know, so I don't write graphically about the sexual, abuse i write about the fallout from it i guess if i'm going to talk about sexual abuse i should take this off um you know i made a decision a long time ago with my first book that i'm good i was going to write realistically about violence against women because Mm. it's not something that i was seeing as a reader unless it was from a man's perspective and the man's perspective was always if this You know, if a woman is raped or assaulted, the magic potion to heal her is for a really good guy to make love to her and everything's fine. Yeah. And that's really not how it works. And I bring a personal perspective to violence against women because when I was growing up, my grandmother was being uh, violently abused by my grandfather. And, you know, like a good all good Southern girls, you know, our family would go to church and then we'd go to my grandma's for Sunday dinner. And sometimes my grandmother would have a black eye or or a cut lip or a broken bone. And my uncles would tease her about being clumsy. And as I got older, I thought nobody's that clumsy. My grandfather's beating the hell out of her and they're making light of it because it's really horrible and they don't know what else to do. And so Um, I thought looking at that, us making light of it or not acknowledging it only protected my grandfather. It never, ever helped my grandmother. So I decided in my books to write about it for what it is. Um, And as I continued writing, it became more important because I would have women say to me, you know, I experience violence i was never able to articulate what it was right for people to understand because that's the part that fades to black or you know it's it's made titillating somehow or sexualized in a really gross way and i wanted to show it for what it is so you understand it's not sexy it's not something any sane person would wish upon themselves it's not bondage and S&M. It's not rough sex. It's, it's violence. And so that's why I chose to write about it. And, and also just being really conscious, these are real people that this happens to every minute of the day, every minute of the day, this kind of crime happens. And, um, I know Kathy's 
you know, much older than me, but maybe some of you guys remember the Long Island Lolita story with Amy Fisher. This story, the part that takes place in the past is uh, like three or four years on from that. And Amy Fisher was a teenage girl who was having uh, sex with a guy in his, I think he was in his late thirties, Joey Buttafuoco, mm-hmm. yeah, which definitely. is statutory rape. Yep. And then eventually he, he sex trafficked her. And, you know, she did a horrible thing. She tried to kill, she wanted to murder this man's wife. But when this all came out, it was sort of weird how she stopped being a girl and she was a woman. And it really, and it's Long Island Lolita in that really disgusting sense where, you know, oh, this poor guy, he has no control. He was seduced by her. And, you know, it's just this kind of disgusting sexualization of young girls. I mean, Amy Fisher is a, a white girl, but particularly young black girls or girls of mm-hmm. color. This happens to a lot where they get really sexualized at a young age. And I don't know if you guys have talked to like a, a 13, 14, 16 year old girl lately. They're really stupid. You know, <laughs> they, they're not emotionally yeah. developed. They don't understand relationships. They don't understand power dynamics. And so that's what I wanted to talk a little about is that whole Nabokov. Oh, you know, I'm just a poor guy. You know, you seduce me is bullshit. It's bullshit. And we need to remember that when we hear these stories uh, that, you know, these are girls, they're not women. It's not sex. It's rape. It's abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you for putting words to that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, Karen, that's, yeah, that's powerful. I have chills thinking about it, especially since um, it can get romanticized, Mm -hmm. which is even worse than excusing it is romanticizing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your writing process and how it differed for you because you wrote this book during the pandemic. So I know you're a homebody anyway, but was it different for you writing during the pandemic? And is it just me? It felt like this one was closer to your the real life Atlanta that you live in than some of your yeah, other. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I, Kathy, you remember when you were driving to St. Simon and we were talking and you're like, oh, yeah. I finished my book early for the first time. And I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> um, because it was really hard. I thought it would yeah. be, I mean, did you guys think, wow, okay, we're, we're not traveling, we're not doing events, mm-hmm. it's going to be so much easier to write. It but just like the sheer horror at the number of people dying mm-hmm. yep. or who are sick and who have long COVID or who lost yes. their jobs or their businesses or yeah. all of that was so stressful. And then this weird politicization of everything. Virus don't care. You know, no. it's like, they don't care if you're a communist or you're, uh, you know, Egyptian or whatever, doesn't care. Um, and so it was just so hard to focus on writing. Um, but, and, and for the first time in my life, I was late. I've always delivered on time. I mean, I'm very, very uh, conscientious about that because I know that, if, and you guys know this, if you don't do your job, you're screwing over so many people in your publishing yeah. house yeah. and they're like, oh, that's okay. But it's like, yeah. you know, jacketing and, and, you know, and I'm really conscious because my first edition is always in the Netherlands that I'm screwing over my Dutch translator, who's a wonderful woman, 
you know, by pushing her schedule because she has other things to do other than wait for me to finish this freaking book. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got to the point where I said to my editor, you know, I see why some authors who I love just deliver crap books and I'm not going to do that. I would rather not write a book this year, this particularly with this book, because I really love the characters and story. Yeah. I, I was like, I'm not going to deliver a bad book. I'm just not going to do it. And so they gave me a little extra time. Honestly, I think they could like print it two weeks before it prints. It's just a lie. They need that long. Um, but so uh, I got it. I got it done. But it was a, it was really difficult to write for a lot of reasons. But, you know, one of, it's a, a very emotional book. A lot of the suspense yeah. comes from the emotion of the characters. Mm -hmm. And that's very hard for me to write because I get so immersed in their lives and their feelings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's really draining for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm really proud it, it, it came out that way, but also very angry at Kathy that she beat her <laughs> deadline. Well, you know, the thing is, um, didn't you have family members who were sick? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, my sister got COVID Oh, wow. It was so new that wow. when she went to the hospital, they literally like put her in a room and they pushed a, a rolling table toward her that had a thermometer on it and the blood pressure cuff. And they're like, put these on. <laughs> they didn't want to go near wow. her. Um, and she ended up going home because they were so freaked out. But wow. she had yeah. 10 days just on the floor. Oh, sick. Gosh. Yeah. And it was very scary. Um, and of course, you know, no one could go help her. Because yeah. they were they were scared, of, especially me. I'm such a delicate flower, and also I'm the youngest, so it's not really my job to take care of. Yeah, her. everyone takes care of you. That's yeah, what life exactly. is about. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's like nature. Um, yeah. they, then my dad had some health problems. And right, I know that you had you had you were taking care of family members, and all I was doing was sitting up and writing in bed. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and drinking and yelling at us if and we yelling at us, right? <laughs> yelling yeah. at yelling at them like. Come, come. Mm -hmm. I shaming. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you write this shaming. morning? She would text us, mm -hmm. and if we didn't, but I felt Karen, it was harder to write, mm -hmm. even though there was more space. So that's yeah. what was fascinating. Was and and I started and stopped so many things. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I think I'll write about this. No, I think I'll write about this. No, I think I'll write about this. But when once I did figure out what to write, then then it was like this still point in the middle of the chaos, yeah. which is, um, but, but this is closer to your real life in Atlanta, isn't it? This book. Here. I think, well, it's not in a part of town I live. It's more like um, the ghetto area where Kathy is. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So there were not... some parts that were closer to where you and I live. I don't want to get too specific, yeah. but I will tell you, I did a book club at Ansley golf club last night. And one of your fans was there and uh, she was asking me about, she was telling me how much she loved your book. And I said, well, watch tonight. And um, she was saying, uh, asking about COVID. And I said, well, Karen will be on the show tonight. And I said, and by the way, if I'm not mistaken, one of the bodies in that book is found in the lake and the Ansley Golf Club. Isn't that right? No, Brookhaven Golf Club. Brookhaven. Is there a Brookhaven, Brookhaven. Yeah. Yes. Way to do a close read, Kathy. Um, <laughs> I have someplace I can't afford to live, so I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, once weird. she spilled it's, the Chardonnay on her wig, it all went downhill. It that's, right. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, it's weird because all we have a lot of golf clubs in Atlanta, like Cherokee and Druid Hills and Ansley and Brookhaven. And they all have like these really distinct personalities. And so I was talking to a, 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 a person who's a big golfer and has played at all these clubs. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's where the douchebags are. This is definitely where your guy would live. <laughs> and so it's going to his name is um, Kevin. So it's his fault if you really love that club. Um, but that's a that's like a crazy neighborhood, too, because it's Justin Bieber lived there. And, you know, right. a lot of rap people live there and hip hop right by yeah. these Miffies and Buffies. So yeah. it's it's like a crazy encapsulation of what Atlanta is, yeah. you know, yeah. which is basically a, a city where if you have the money, you belong. Right. That's always been the story of Atlanta. Um, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. 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 So so to put Lee and Callie in a part of Atlanta, which I made up, it, I call it Lake Point, but it's kind of like an amalgamation of Lakewood and um, um, Riverdale. But I thought, you know, those were rough areas when I was a kid and like pe real people live there. My sister has a lot of friends who live there now. And it's like, I don't want to really trash this part of town. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it, it's more like, I mean, they totally, uh, Stewart Avenue, that kind of area, they changed the name of Stewart Avenue out after the Olympics or before the Olympics because it had such yeah. a bad reputation. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's the area of town that I was thinking of. Okay, so now the two sisters in False Witness are understandably pretty tough characters. And for large portions of False Witness, they're, they're not very likable. I mean, we learn, well, hang on. We learn early on that um, they are, they have, they've, you know, they've perpetrated a pretty gruesome crime and it, it takes a lot of book. It takes a lot of the plot until I thought to myself, okay, I, I get this. So what I want to ask Karen, that's a long way of asking is how I, how important is it to you that your protagonist right from the get go be likable or relatable? Well, it's not a driving point for me. Um, I think that you should be interested in them and you know, want to know what they're going to do next and what's going to happen to them. Right. I mean, that's really, that's, that's some Flannery O'Connor shit there. The mystery of character, right? Yeah. That's the question that pulls you through the story is what is this person going to do? And mm. so for, uh, for me, I think you rely on that. There's a big switch in the very, the prologue, the opening of the book that mm -hmm. should, should shock people, unless they know me really, really well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I framed it that way because I wanted you as a reader to sort of relate to this person in a way. Mm -hmm. And then when you catch up with her 20 years later to understand how she got there. Right. I mean, that that's the thing for me, especially given COVID. We're all living in trauma right now. It's and true. I, Yes. And I remember we would go to um, to um, like lunch or something at the Howard Johnson's with this crazy aunt of mine, like a great, great aunt. And she had survived the depression. 
And whenever we would leave, she would put all the sweet and low in her purse mm -hmm. and any bread on the table. Cause mm -hmm. you know, she's it's like the depression really affected her even all those decades later. And I'm like, I wonder if like when we're going to go with our uh, great, great grandkids or whatever, are we going to go to the bathroom and take all the toilet paper? Yeah. Just hand sanitizer. Right. I'm gonna be, so how, how's this going to be with us? I'm going to be hoarding that hand sanitizer. Someone yeah. tried to shake my hand today and I had the most like appalling physical, like yeah. diving in the opposite direction reaction. And I was like, okay, that was like a little overblown, but I'm like, who would shake my hand? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know where it's been. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I, but you know, that so Lee and Callie experienced a really horrible trauma and they had different reactions to it. One of them like went the whole type A full on law school, always hustling. Yeah. And the other one just spiraled into an addiction. And so I, I wanted to show, you know, we, we all write about kind of bad things happening to people yeah. Yeah. and you know, usually by the end of the story, if they're not dead, they're doing okay. But I want to talk about the fact that trauma lingers. I mean, we know all kinds of scientific studies about trauma and oh. early childhood trauma. You can have as an adult uh, a predisposition toward depression, heart right. disease, diabetes, suicidal ideation, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all these things just from childhood trauma. So, you know, I wanted to explore that through these two characters when you're well, talking you about that oh, sorry i was just say when you were talking about that karen it makes me think of that book it's called um the body keeps the score mm -hmm. and when you're talking about your your characters like their body kept the score and then they yeah. acted out on that i just think it's yeah. interesting sorry kathy go ahead mary Kay. no i was i was just thinking that the two sisters are so their their lives are so bound together and there's a there's a plot twist karen i did not see coming i love that i did not see coming when um lee and walter were living in chicago i don't want to give away any more than that <laughs> but that totally twisted my head all the way around so um we've got we've got some live questions Thank so you. um who you guys want to ask some uh, uh, yeah. some of the live questions people are, are, are typing in? Absolutely. Um, so Diana McGoldrick says, Karen, what do you do to help you when you're deep in your feelings with these tougher parts and pieces of your story? Um, I get on the treadmill. Yeah. I, I, I find the treadmill is very useful for that. And I'm, I'm like an all or none person. Like if I'm going to eat peas, I will eat peas at every meal, mm -hmm. breakfast mm -hmm. included, which I'm I like did. that too. Really I, I had like a summer of peas where I did that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'll get on the treadmill for an hour and a half and just like get it all out. Um, and that's that's kind of a reset for me. And, you know, it also helps because I think you need a little distance as a writer yeah. because you're in control of the, the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I, I didn't want to fall into like this long, dark night of staring at my navel sort of stuff because the, the story, it's a thriller. It needs to keep moving. Mm 
Yeah. Um, but I certainly could have gone in, in that direction if I hadn't been more disciplined. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just, you know, having written so many books, I, I can realize that and stop myself when I feel it happening. And, you know, it doesn't happen with every book because sometimes it, the the thriller part comes from who done it, finding out, you know, that that is the important part that drives the narrative. But this is a very emotionally driven book. So I had to be very yeah. careful not to just make it like an open sore kind of thing. You know, yeah. so things yeah. are happening and, you know, the, the chapters move very differently, too, because Lee's chapters are like going like this and Callie's are like this, you know, and that's just their personalities. But it's also a way to kind of slow it down because all the stuff that's happening, you know, you got to have a moment to digest it. Yeah, and there's no doubt in the reader's mind that um, the guy on trial, mm-hmm. whose name changes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. There's no doubt that he did it. Right. So, you know, where does the suspense come from? And it has right. to come from a very emotional place. And yeah. that's one of the challenges of writing a book like this. And, you know, I was like, Jesus, this is why uh, Buffalo Bill had Hannibal Lecter. Right. Ah. You know, because you, you have to have something driving it. So, but also, I, you know, when you write about bad people and the focus is on those bad people, mm-hmm. I think it's very important not to make them larger than life or unbelievable. Or, you know, mm-hmm. we all know a guy like the bad guys in this book, yeah. you know, and hopefully yeah. they're out of our lives now. Um, but we know if we have, we all have a friend who keeps dating this same guy. Um, (laughs) but so I, I just needed them to be really believable and anchored in reality because it was such an important story. And honestly, you know, what terrifies me is a person who is Mm -hmm. not abnormal. Who's like seemingly, you know, can appear very normal and confront that. And deep down, they're like a horrible person. I mean, it's it's Ted Bundy. I mean, yeah. he was in the Young Republicans, and he had a bright future. You know, even when he got sentenced in Florida, which it makes sense, Florida, right? Gladly to didn't hear that. <laughs> but the judge was like, "Young man, you had such a promising future, and it's such a sad that you could have been a very good lawyer." Because of course, he represented himself. And you're thinking, judge this guy's a serial killer and you think he just made some bad choices and he could have otherwise been a really great lawyer and contributed to, I mean, come on. I'd like to see him say that to some prostitutes. He sentences, you know, young lady, you could have been a doctor, you know, (laughs) had so much opportunity. Um, So, you know, that's the kind of um, person I find really scary is the one who's like at, at your dentist office or, you know, the coach at school or, well, I won't say priest because everybody knows what priests do, but you know, it's just like, that's what's scary to me. And that's what the, the, I had to concentrate on. And that's where the suspense had to come from. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you want another has- live one? Sure. Um, yeah, we have time. Okay, great. So Susan God mm-hmm. says, how does Karen's parrot, respond to her book wait no not her parrot 
Oh, her family. How did Karen's family respond to her books and their subject matter? I want to know how her parents respond. That's a much more interesting question, to be honest. I mean, okay, I did it on purpose. So Susan Gab wants to know how your family responds to your books and your subject matter, but I want to know how your parent responds. So love it, love it, love it, love it. You know, uh, they're very supportive, but I, and I think I've told, maybe I've told this story too many times, but like a classic example, when I was growing up, I was in, I got in trouble at school, but not for, you know, breaking things or fighting or not doing work, but just doing strange things. Um, I know Kathy, you're shocked. And (laughs) I don't know if you can see my lunchbox back there. Um, but it's got a picture Oh, well, since since I moved the parrot, I can move this. This was like my lunchbox at school. And you can't see it very well, but it's like uh, Marilyn Monroe after the autopsy. Okay, there you go. And, um, you know, so I got, so that my dad got called to school for that. And then like, you know, those baby on board stickers that were really popular. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be really funny to put the word dead at the top. Mm-hmm. So it said dead baby on board. And so then my dad got called up to school for that. And, you know, so we're sitting in the principal's office and they're like, you know, hey, Howard. Hey, hey, John, because they were on first name basis. Um, And uh, he said, you know, this is this is what she did. She's got the sign in his car in the car. And my dad said, well, is it against the school handbook? Principal said no. He said, was it like illegal or is there like some rule she broke? No. And my dad said, you know what? She's just weird. And (laughs) she's always been weird and we love her for it. And just don't call me up for this shit anymore. What a dad. Um, What a dad. He pats me on the shoulder as he walks out. Um, And so that's like, that's how he feels about this. You know, he doesn't quite get it. He's not a big reader. You know, when he was growing up, they were so dirt poor that they would have to catch squirrels to eat. Um, so he just does not think sitting around and reading is a, a good use of your time. Um, though he weirdly talks a lot about Willie Nelson's interview in Rolling Stone about marijuana. Um, but he read that. He read that. Um, <laughs> and, but he's super proud of me, you know, and he's always supportive and he says he's proud awesome. of me all the time. And my sister's the same way. So, you know, they're very supportive. And it reminds me of, um, I can't remember who told me this, maybe Harlan Coben. He said, um, your family will buy your books, but not read it. And your friends will read your books, but not buy them. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that is the biggest truism of uh, any author's career, I think. Oh my gosh. So true. Yeah. That's, that's so deep. true. That's deep. Do we have time for one more, y'all? All right, all right. Now we probably need to get to Karen. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. Okay. So I don't think we have time for any more questions, but you, if you will, if you feel like it, Karen, if you're not too busy, you know, slicing and dicing innocent victims, maybe go on to um, the friends and fiction Facebook page. Cause pe- lots of people have questions. I mean, I have questions, um, but every week, one of our favorite parts of the show is asking writers for a for writing advice you know how i avoided the see how i avoided the word tip there 
So if you have a piece of writing advice. You, you actually didn't avoid it in the end. <laughs> no. You actually <laughs> just said it. Was, you want it was, just the tip, Kathy. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. yeah, advice. Okay. Yeah. Um, just do it. I mean, that's the hardest part. Every single person on earth, like literally on earth, there's someone in Abu Dhabi right now who probably has a fantastic idea for a book. But the idea is not the hard part. The hard part is sitting down every day, banging it out, figuring out how to express the idea through character, through scene, through atmosphere, through setting. That's the hard part. And that's what makes you a writer. Um, so that's just the tip. It's <laughs> a good one. Okay, Karen and everybody else, stick around because we have one more thing to talk about and ask to talk to Karen about. But first, I want to remind you, we want to remind you all out there to check out our Friends and Fiction Writers Block podcasts. So this show will be a podcast. All our shows are, but we also have an Every Friday Writers Block podcast. This past week, Ron, Christy Woodson Harvey, and I talked to Allison Lark and Tracy Lang that will pop up in two days about origin stories for their books. And then Ron and Mary Kay Andrews talked to Virginia Stan. Actually, that was last week. And this week, Ron and Mary Kay talked to Virginia Stanley and Nancy Pearl about being library rock stars because librarians are rock stars. They are. And Karen, I, I have Nancy Pearl's um, action figure. Actually, she's fantastic. And you, do and you, you? Know, and you know yeah. Virginia Stanley quite well too. Absolutely, I made her go tell it. Make her tell you the story about the cat cafe. I made her go to where she was terrified of all the cats. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. If you are not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, you are missing out. The group, which is separate from us and is run by our friends Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, is now more than 8,000 strong. They're closing in on 9,000, which is awesome. That's so amazing. on September 20th, I know it's incredible, and they mm -hmm. do such a great job with it. On September Thank 20th, you. Patty will be joining the group to discuss her novel, The Bookshop at Water's End. And we they have so many more wonderful things in store through the end of the year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And next week, join us right here at 7 p.m. to meet Megan Abbott, author of The Read with Jenna Pick, The Turnout, and Laura Lippman, author of Dream Girl. I just read both of them, and they are fantastic. Then in two weeks, join us as we welcome Darren Kagan and Paula Ferris. If you're ever wondering about our schedule, it's always on the Friends of Fiction website, as well as the sidebar. Um, of events on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page. And I also just wanted to tell everyone, stick around for our after show because you might notice everyone, we're all wearing our Friends and Fiction yes. t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> and um, we're gonna be talking, <laughs> Karen, we should Karen's have sent you one. Mine is Aaron Smith. Um, but we're gonna be talking a little bit about how you can be our Friends and Fiction merch star of the week. So we'll tell you that in our after show. Love it. And yeah, Karen, Karen, stick around. It could be you. It could be. Could you. be. <laughs> we, we're gonna we're gonna mail you a t-shirt. It's yeah. just we are, and yeah, you okay. can even have my pirate hat if you if you want it. She's, no, she's got so okay. many good props. She doesn't need your pirate. Although I do have my. She might want my prop. She might want it. My anyway. my pirate hat comes with dreads. So I, I oh, that's mine, so much better. <laughs> yeah. Mine does not. Mine does not. Mine comes comes with two red bows and some lace. 
So Johnny Depp dreads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And y'all know that Kathy, Christy and I have new books coming out this fall, the Santa suit once upon a wardrobe and Christmas at Peachtree bluff. And you can be the first to read these books through our kind of amazing winter wonderland subscription. You receive the books just as they're released along with loads of exclusive swag, including a video that only the people who buy the subscription subscription can get this per package is available through our friends our great friends at nantucket book partners and karen we have one more question for you in light of your work helping raise funds for public libraries would you talk a little bit about why this cause is so important to you and why it should be important to every reader out there well it's a good question i mean as you know i really don't like children um, I, know. I don't, I don't, they're so sticky. They're very heavy. <laughs> they don't, they lack in flavor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got some great recipes, but like their heads, they can't even like, what is this baby? Come on, <laughs> learn to hold your head up. Um, but we know a lot of things about infant brains also tasty. Um, and that is if you have a finite amount of time in your life, when you learn language and critical processing and reading and reading fluently and yeah. that's in your childhood. And so if a kid doesn't get a reading ability established, they're never going to be a fluent reader. And so if you look at it just from a financial standpoint as taxpayers, spending money on a library is one of the cheapest things you can do Kids who read do better in school. If they do better in school, they'll go to college. If they go to college, they'll get better jobs. They'll pay higher taxes. I mean, it's that simple. Every judge I know in the juvenile justice system, every cop I know who works with juveniles says the library is the backbone of our community. And we've really yeah. seen this with COVID because, you know, our local libraries here in uh, DeKalb and Fulton County in Atlanta, of course, they're, they were closed because of COVID, but Kids don't have computers, you know, they're doing a math class on their parents' phone and then the parent gets a call from work, math class is over. And so they invested in technology and hotspots because the internet's very expensive. Um, yeah. they, the, the internet companies say they help poor people. They don't. It's still expensive. Um, and so they gave hotspots, they gave tablets, they gave iPads, they made it possible for kids, especially in rural areas, you know, 85% of kids in rural areas, their only access to the internet is at their local library. So it's very wow. important wow. that we have these libraries. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm a supporter. Um, also, you know, just long-term, maybe these kids will one day be adults and they'll read my books. Um, yeah, that would too. I mean, it's, I'm playing too. the long game. It's it's <laughs> selfish. I mean, all that money you've raised is really just hoping it all. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. Why did I just buy my own books? <laughs> you know, um, I have um, a close family friend who teaches in a school in Southwest Georgia. That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty impoverished, and those kids are driving over to fast food restaurants mm -hmm. if if their parents have a car to get. Wi-Fi so they can either watch classes or, or, you know, do their homework online. So it's incredibly important. And I really, all joking aside, Karen, I really salute mm -hmm. you for the work you've done with, yeah. with supporting Absolutely. 
Public Well, yeah. you helped, yeah. didn't you? You, you and uh, Catherine Stockett and I did a we had a good time. Yeah, we had a party. We had a blast. Yeah, we'll do we'll do that again. Absolutely, I hope. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's time for me to say, everybody, go out and buy Karen's book, False Witness, which is a truly riveting book. I read it in about 20 hours and our uh, bookstore of the week this week is Foxtail Bookshop. So don't forget you can go online and order Karen's book, her backlist. And of course, all of our books at Foxtail Bookshop and Karen, thanks for joining us. See you you for lunch soon. I hope. Yes. Yes. We'll get the ladies together. We'll and get Megan, the ladies together. Megan Abbott is fantastic. You're going to have a great time with her. I know. She's and really Laura Lipman is an old, old friend of mine. So I think we're going to have a really good time next yeah. week too. Megan is one of the smartest people I know. She just knows so much about everything. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I doubt she'll have a parrot though. Nope. <laughs> that. Maybe some ballet or shoes, or but some not pants. a parrot. Some noses or glasses. Mm-hmm. I doubt and she'll have those either. And they just coming. I mean, it's like, what's she going to pull out next? Girl, you don't even know what's on my <laughs> desk. And yeah, <laughs> we don't want to. I kind of okay. want to see a screenshot of that desk. I'm just saying. No, you want to see my closet where I have everything labeled and stored. Wow. You do? <laughs> oh, oh, hell yeah. This this okay. gets folded up and taken care of, man. This ain't cheap. I ain't buying no $12 pe- pirate hat. <laughs> I'm awesome. I'm Thanks it. again. Thanks again, Karen. For Karen, thanks for coming. Right. Karen. Don't forget, you can order Karen's book, Hi, False Karen. Witness, at Foxtail Books. And we hope you will support our indie bookstores and, of course, your local library because that's important, too. And we'll see you in a minute at the Story Point After Show and come back next week, same time, same place, as we welcome special guests, Megan Abbott and Laura Lippman. Good night. Wow. She's great. <laughs> she's she's great. amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to bring out my wig now. It's very sad. She's <laughs> so smart and yeah. um, well spoken. I don't know. I just find her fascinating. So I'm so glad yes. she was with us. Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, we Christy's holding up our Story Point bottle. To oh. our after show, Sip and Stay with Story Point. Because maybe a good story unfolds over a glass of wine. Right? And sometimes good stories spill over On your onto, our onto your wig. Sometimes Damn you it. have too much Story Point before you even start the evening. I did not have too much. <laughs> I just had a lot going on on my table. I had props, I had my gavel, I had my, you know, $14. Oh, it's now it's soggy and smells like Chardonnay. I had my wig. You want me to put it back on? Yeah, you should put it back on. You should put it back on while I talk about our merch. Can we tell us? Let's do that. Tell us. Okay. So while the credits were rolling, you guys talk about a missed opportunity. We were calling it our Friends in Fiction merch star. It should have been called our Friends in Fiction Fluencer, right? Oh, Oh. our Friends in Fiction Fashion. Maybe maybe that's better. Yeah. I like that. Well, at any rate, whatever we call it. Every week, starting next week for four weeks, we are going to pick someone um, and share their picture with their Friends in Fiction merch on the screen. So for those of you who don't know, 
We have these amazing t-shirts available. Yeah. Hello, voilà. t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and super cute Friends in Fiction wine sippies mm -hmm. yep. and coffee tumblers as well. Although we're almost out of coffee tumblers. So if you want one of those, you need to get on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they are available for sale from Oxford Exchange. And so just submit your picture. There's a post under announcements online where you can submit your pictures. Although people have been like emailing them to me and DMing me on Instagram. Like, I don't care how you send your picture. Just send it in. <laughs> no, fine. And we're going to yeah. pick some of you and you're going to win a copy of either my Christmas and Peachtree Bluff, mm. Patty's Once Upon a Wardrobe, or uh, Mary Kay's um, The Santa Suit. I did not ask them before I announced that. I just went for it. So hopefully that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll we're going to fight with you. Too. I'll throw in Forrest. Kristen's yeah, gonna throw in we're not going to fight with you. You're running contests. We're not ever going <laughs> to fight with somebody like, who's doing I'm just going to make some decisions and not ask anyone. Then they don't have to yeah. think about it or worry about it. We don't have to talk we about it. We appreciate that. Could we you just make all the decisions from now on? With that, with, can, I can we just, just do hoping that? that you could. Because you always make really good ones. And then I could, we'll just be like, yes, great idea. Maybe, I, maybe you could make decisions on the cover for next summer's book. Because hmm. we're at that point and I'm kind of out of thoughts. I'll send some well, suggestions. I was going to say, I think that's pretty much a group decision. Decision. So exactly. That's oh, what we're here for. Okay. I don't think we get okay. to hand that over to Christy. I think yeah. that's okay. more of a yeah mm -hmm. group. Okay. My publisher will be interested in hearing your feedback. Okay. okay. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure they're waiting. With, <laughs> I'm sure they're waiting. Really with, waiting with bated breath. Bated yeah. breath. Yeah. I yeah. you know I thought it was interesting tonight when Karen talked about how hard it was for her to finish that book. Yeah. And. um yeah. And how emotionally involved she gets. You know, we think of all these grisly murder mystery type things as maybe it's just plot driven, but she really right. gets into the mm -hmm. deeper aspects of mm -hmm. their, of trauma and their lives. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And she does a lot of pretty nitty gritty um, research. She's, um, she's tight with um, some Georgia Bureau of Investigation agents I know um, we didn't get time. We didn't have time to ask this question, but a lot of a lot of false witness um, parts of it are very much a courtroom thriller. Yeah. And so I was I was researching, and she talked about one of her good friends. You know, we're all friends with people in our writer communities, mm -hmm. and she's friends with Alifair Book Alifair Burke Alifair Burke who writes uh, legal thrillers and of course is James Lee Burke's daughter, but she's a great writer on her own and she's a former prosecutor and uh, went to law school at Stanford, I think. And um, so she talked about in another interview, she talked about Alifair kind of telling her how to do the legal research in this book, because in false witness uh, Lee the protagonist who is a, you know, a really kick-ass uh, lawyer at a white shoe law firm, she gets basically kind of uh, blackmailed into defending this scumbag mm -hmm. rapist. And then of course it turns out there's a connection. Mm -hmm. And, and so she, she has, she has to do her job, her, ethically her job, as a lawyer defending someone who's really indefensible, but at the same time, she's got this really uh, deep 
trauma suffered at the hands of, of this person. Wow. So it's powerful. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that in, it really that is. And talk about an impossible do, choice, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 We all do a lot of research and some of that research, you know, is tougher yeah. than yeah. others. Yeah. Yep. True. But I also think it's fascinating because we've talked about it so many times on the show with so many authors, how during COVID, it was easier for some people to write their books and yeah. harder for others. And yeah. just because you're granted a large swath of time doesn't yeah. mean that everything got easier. Right. Um, no, it didn't. I mean, it still feels a little bit like that now, like this, this yeah. kind of unsteady tremor beneath everything and to remember that everybody's feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you know? I feel very every, I was thinking yeah. earlier today how like every tiny insignificant thing just becomes this whole ordeal because you're like, yes. should I do it? Should I not? Yes. Is it worth uh, it? Is it not? Exhausting. Do we go? Do we not? Da, 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 da. I mean, it's just like things that are just so ridiculous. And it's just, we all have to have such extreme decision fatigue because it's just like everything. I know. You know, it's like, yeah. should we go out to lunch? Well, I mean, we're probably okay, but it is one more exposure that, I mean, it's yes. like, ah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything. A Everything's a little bit deal. more exhausting. Everything's yeah. a little bit. Yep. And, yeah. and when she was talking about that, you know, everybody's in trauma. I was thinking while she was saying it, that it's good to remember that like everybody's, everybody is an inch away. All of us. Um, I was listening to a podcast about that last night and how it was really, really interesting about, you know, how this time has brought up like every single thing from our past and we don't mm -hmm. even realize it. Yep. That it's, you know, any other time we've been afraid before, any other time we've had to face something difficult before. It's like all these things because we've never lived through this. So it's like yeah. our subconscious is pulling back. It's pulling on every single horrible thing we've ever experienced in our yep. life for like in our lives for a frame of reference. Because well, that's what that that's what that book is about, that the body yeah. keeps the score. Yeah. And, yeah. and he has he has a really good podcast out right now with the New York times with Ezra, some, somebody, and it's, that's exactly what it's about. Christy is, yeah. it's not what's happening right now. It's pinging everything that happened right. before. Well, yeah. and, and it's also that reminder that as much control as we think we have over our lives, Woof. we have Amen. none. And, Amen. and as secure as we think things are in our lives, anything could happen at any moment. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah. I think that, that to me is, is the scariest part of this time. It's just that realization yeah. that we all know in the back of our minds, but that realization mm -hmm. being kind of um, driven home again and again, yeah. you know? Cause like, that's the thing we have to forget to be able to really live, right? We have to be able or to forget. get to the page every day. Yeah. Right? We have to and be able to forget the one thing we can control can ever happen at any time. Like we have to kind of be able to forget that to be able to like live our lives, but it's like in our face every second. Like, and, you know, that. I think, I feel like when I was writing the newcomer last year, I feel like I wrote most of that book sitting up in bed, starting at 7 a.m. Yeah. And just for the first time, there was, I'm not joking when I say there was nothing else to do or nowhere else to go. Yeah. And I just put my head down and every morning at 7 a.m. or sometimes earlier, you know, I was writing and maybe that was my escape from the reality that was surrounding me because I was yep. in my 
half dark bedroom in my PJs. Yep. And my only reality was the reality of that world, that fictional world I created. I was mm-hmm. most years I go away to write to put myself in that world. But last year I, I put myself in that world, that darkened room, that was my bubble. And, um, but I wasn't writing a, um, a legal thriller with a lot of yeah. pretty traumatic detail in it. Yeah, but this was, must have been a tough year to go that dark. I mean, I know a lot yeah. of her, a lot mm-hmm. of her work is dark, but I mean, that really, I think, required a deep emotional dig. Which this was a tough year to do that. It, it really was because our our emotions were were already on the surface in, in a way that was difficult to deal with. So no, I've said over and over once upon a wardrobe was my touch point every day. It's like the opposite of grisly murder, right? right. It's, it's, but it was the, while everything else was burning and going crazy that I could return to that again. And I mean, and I will always remember that. I mean, I, you know, we kind of joke about it, but really and truly I wrote the entire wedding veil at 7am in my bed and if it hadn't been for you guys, like, I don't know that that would have happened because I mean, well, I mean, I was homeschooling. I mean, I, I'm not like everyone was, Kristen was, we all were, but I'm just saying it was that time of like, yeah. okay, I'm actually yeah. going to do this when, if I hadn't done that, there would have been a million excuses of course, to not write that book. And I just, I know those excuses. I'm making them now. So yes. I'm making them right now. Yeah. Well, you know, we, I mean, we all do. I'm like, you know, I mean, we all, we all do that, but it was really, I think during a time when everything was just so insane, like it just made yeah. it that go-to point where we were all like, we weren't together, but we were together every morning and we were yeah. all doing it. And there was something really kind of special about that, that I think made it really just work. Yeah. We should have texted her at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I shudder to think what she would have texted. <laughs> I, know, I know, right? I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, the great thing, what I love about this show is when we talk to different authors, uh, we're so fortunate, I think, so blessed to be able to see um, how thoughtful yeah. and how intentional writers yeah. are these writers are yeah with yeah. their stories that they put out into the world and that's and all that's the kind of- back work i think people don't always know whether right. it's her interviewing the gbi or or you doing your i don't i think people are now more a little more aware of the mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i like the word intention you use but the story behind the story and how much work yeah. goes into it it's not just the typing right no. right <laughs> yeah yeah too. Yeah, I saw I saw somebody uh, on Twitter, of course, where people get really irate, and they were criticizing a, a New York Times story, and they said that's not reporting, that's stenography. <laughs> I like that. I wish it was so, that easy, would, yeah. right? If it yeah, were that easy, uh, yeah. Only somebody who's never had to report on a breaking story could. Yeah call it stenography but that's a yeah. different story mm-hmm. for a different night okay my husband is cooking me something delicious and i can smell it Ooh, and i'm all and right I, lucky you are, are you sure that's not just the the wig the, the nearby <laughs> wig? i'm gonna squeeze the, i'm gonna squeeze the wine ring it out bring the wine out <laughs> please of don't that. be that last, desperate last of the yeah, story yeah. point Cheers, ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Story point. Story point. I just story finished point. mine while we were talking, but to story point. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to text everybody at 7 a.m. to see if you're writing. All right. Okay, okay. do okay. it. 
Yeah. All right, guys. Night. Night. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.